Wonderful job, kids. Can we give them another round of applause as they exit? Good job, guys. Westside's worship team, the future looks bright. All right, this morning we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, so go ahead and pull out your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there should be a white paperback in the pew in front of you. Go ahead and get that. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that white paperback one with you. Be in the Gospel of Luke, starting in chapter 1, verse 39 through 45. When you're there, say, Behold. Behold. All right, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah, and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, my goodness, it's all downhill after something like that, right? There's no way to follow something like that. We are so excited and so proud of our kiddos and the Kidside team and Miss Chrissy and Miss Molly for helping those kiddos out. And we really do believe that um, what Jesus said is to go and make disciples um, of all nations and of all ages. And so we're just so grateful um, for our kiddos and, and everything. And so we continue in our Advent series. And uh, maybe you've never been in church before. Maybe you don't know what Advent means. Advent simply means the arrival or the coming of. And maybe you hear it in news articles or over the radio, the advent of the internet, the advent of television. And what we look back upon church history and see is that the church historically has celebrated the advent, the arrival of Jesus Christ. And what it does is it puts us in a rhythm, if you will. One theologian says that Christmas makes us cozy, but Advent calls us to stay awake. And what we've done is we have looked through the scriptures and we've realized that there's a word that God uses when he wants to communicate something to us, and it is the word behold. And the word behold, just like the kids spelled and just like they communicated to us, the word behold that God uses actually means to stop and to gaze at or to meditate on. And it really seems almost counterintuitive for us, especially this time of year, that the message that God wants to give us is behold. Literally almost stop what you're doing, calm your heart, and not do more, but rather sit and behold. Maybe, maybe this will help us as an introduction. John Wesley is known as the founder of Methodism, and he is the famous one of the Wesley brothers. Um, but his brother Charles Wesley is a bit lesser known than John. But Charles has had a great impact upon church history. Hark the herald angels sing. That is Charles Wesley's hymn that he wrote. John and his brother Charles were a part of what was called a holy club. 
Um, they were giants of the faith, and George Whitfield was actually a part of that holy club. These uh, were pious men, if you will. They fasted multiple times a week. They read the scriptures. They memorized the scriptures. They were a part of the first great awakening here in the U.S. It's actually impossible to learn about U.S. history apart from John Wesley, Charles Wesley, and George Whitfield. But what's interesting is, is as we have read through their journals and through their diaries, they experienced the grace of God in a very um, powerful way. And even though they were doing all of these things, um, Charles Wesley actually writes in one of his journals that he fasted so long and so much that he almost died, right? Some of us miss breakfast and we're like, ooh, I feel a little woozy, right? I mean, these were religious, pious men. And the date was May 19th, 1738. And Charles Wesley wrote this in his journal. This morning, I received the sacrament, but I did not receive Christ. This morning, I received the Lord's Supper, but I did not receive Christ. He goes on later in his journal to talk about the transforming experience of what it is, if you will, to actually behold Christ. And when I read that, I thought, that's what many of us are going to do this holiday season. Many of us are going to go through Christmas. Many of us are going to receive gifts and go through the motions of Christmas, but not actually receive Christ, if you will. You see, because I think that the message of really predominantly this holiday season um, is busy, right? I mean, if your week was anything like ours, we had Christmas parties, we had kids programs, we had all of these things. And it seems to be that the predominant message is busy. And it's almost like a default answer. How are things going? Oh, busy, right? We would be so caught off guard if we asked someone, hey, how are things going? And they said, you know what? Calm, peaceful. I have so much time on my hands. I don't feel rushed. I don't feel busy. I feel actually all caught up. We would walk away and go, they're weird, right? They're on drugs or something, right? And, and, and it's almost just accepted. But what we've learned is, is that the message of the scriptures is not busy. The message of the scriptures is behold. To behold God. And what we see literally in our passage today, the word blessed is used three times in just these seven verses. And so to maybe catch you up a little bit, um, last week we learned about the annunciation, the, the announcement from the angel to Mary that um, here in this small town of Nazareth, Mary, that you are going to be the one who literally carries Jesus Christ in your womb, and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, the virgin birth, the immaculate conception. And this week is known as the visitation, where Mary meets with her cousin Elizabeth, who is about six or seven months pregnant with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's birth was prophesied. John the Baptist is to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is, I think, in this holiday season, when we remain busy, what we actually think is at the end of being busy that we will arrive at some sort of reward. 
that, that we're busy for a reason, and that on Christmas Eve, all the dads and all the moms who stay up until 1 a.m. to put those little kitchens together, right, and the tricycles and all of this, and clearly the person that wrote the instructions never actually put this thing together, right? And, and so we're busy because at the end of the busyness, there's a reward, or to use some other language, that because we're busy, we believe that we will be blessed. That we will be blessed. That there's a blessing at the end of this busyness. But what we see in this passage today is not the idea of busyness. We see blessedness. And, and, and here's the big idea just for a few moments that I want to share with us today, and it's this. The blessings of God are found in beholding God. The blessings of God are found in beholding God. It's Charles Wesley. It's if I'm busy for God, then I'll get the blessings of God. And then he finds out that he goes through all the routines and has yet to actually behold the sweetness of the grace of God. So how do we behold then? If, if, if the answer is not busyness, at the end of the busyness is not blessings, but actually more busyness and brokenness and sadness and exhaustion. But if we behold God and then there are the blessings of God, how do we do that? Well, the first thing that I see in the text is this. We behold with the people of God. With the people of God. You see it says there in verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste. Literally immediately into the hill country to a town in Judah. So Mary gets the news from Gabriel that hey um, it's happening. That the Savior, the Messiah of the world is coming. God has chose you, not because you're awesome, not because you're perfect, but because God is awesome and God is perfect and the grace of God has landed on you, not because of anything that you have done, Mary, but everything because of how full of grace God is. And Mary asked the question, um, how will this be? How will this be? I'm engaged to Jophus, as we learned, right, Joseph? I'm engaged. How's this going to be? And the angel says, um, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing's impossible with God. And by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, who's really, really old, right? Elizabeth gets the senior citizen discount at Dairy Queen, right? She gets it. And her and Zachariah are going to have a child, and so when Mary hears this news, immediately what she does is she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. Now, we learned last week that, that a lot of theologians and scholars think that, that Mary was as young as 12 or 13 years old. Kind of totally changes the Christmas story, if you will. It's a different society back then. 12 was the legal age to be betrothed to a man. And so actually, we, we miss it in the text, but, but, but here's a map of how Mary would have traveled. Joseph doesn't go with Mary. That's not in the text. A lot of scholars and theologians think that Mary made this journey because in the small town of Nazareth, it was causing quite a stir that she was pregnant and that she had not had relations with her husband. And so a lot of scholars think that due to the controversy and everything that was happening in that small town, that when Mary went to Walmart for her grocery pickup, that she got a lot of stares and a lot of people pointed at her because God doesn't work like that. And she thinks that she heard from God and all of this. And 
And so she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. Now, we know that this journey would have been almost 100 miles. So think about this. Pregnant teenage girl traveling over 100 miles and literally in dangerous terrain to go to confirm with another person, another person in the community of faith about what God is doing in their life. This, this is very applicable for us. Why is it important for us to behold with the people of God? Well, because um, a lot of us think that we're the Lone Ranger, right? And, and, and here's what we say all the time. Um, the Lone Ranger even had Tonto, okay? Right? Batman had Robin. And so we think that we can do this Christian life in isolation. And we don't need anybody. And I don't need to talk to anyone. And I don't need to go anywhere. And we can figure this out on our own. Um, newsflash, I have a microphone and you don't. You're wrong, okay? <laughs> Glad you're here today, right? And why is it important to behold in the community of faith? Well, there, there's two mutualities here. The first one is this. Um, they have mutual faith. They have mutual faith. That their faith is in the same God. And so it encourages each other that the faith and that the object of our faith, we learned this last week, that a lot of us grew up in a tradition that said, if only you had enough faith, if only you had enough faith, if only your faith was more, then God would do more in your life. And the reality is, the good news is that it's not about the size of our faith. But it's about the object of our faith being Jesus Christ. And so, as Spurgeon used to say, that weak faith in a strong Savior is enough. It is enough. And so it's the mutual faith, the mutual object of faith. But then it's this, it's also mutual experiences. Right? I mean, both of these women experienced an angel coming and sharing good news to them. And you know what's interesting is that's what we see within the life of the church today. That, that we are a part of a body and that we need each other and that we have mutual faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we also have mutual experiences. And that when you're in a community group or when you have a cup of coffee with a member of the church and you think you're the only person in church whose marriage is on the rocks or who's struggling with an addiction and then you sit down in community group and then finally someone breaks all the facade and all the smiles and all the everything's fine and says, hey, you know what? Today, um, my wife and I, we need prayer because our marriage is struggling. And then this is what you do. You go, and you raise your hand and you go, yeah, me too. Me too. Because when we experience these things together, we realize that we're able to behold together with the people of God. You know, have you ever, um, maybe with your wife or with your husband, right before you go somewhere and you go to a dinner party or something like that, and, and you sort of check, like, hey, is my outfit okay? Do I have, you know, a booger in my nose or something like that? And you're like, is, you know, is this good? And, and you're asking someone to, to, to maybe see something that, that you don't see. And that's exactly what it is to live in community together. Here's what I'm trying to say. God uses the community of faith to confirm your faith. And maybe the answer that you need is not to live more in isolation, but rather to get around people to let you know, hey, you know what? I see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. I see God doing these things in your life.
we see that they, the way that we'll be able to behold is with the people of God. The second thing is this. We behold by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. There's some pretty incredible things that are happening in this passage. Verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting, um, the word greeting is used two times in this passage. And so back then in the ancient Middle East, um, the greeting was sort of like a process. And so when you came into a home, there was an exchange. Mary probably bowed down at Elizabeth's feet because she was older. And so back then there was high honor for those type of things and respect. And they would have exchanged and spoke blessings over each other. And then when all of that happens, verse 42, or I'm sorry, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke loves the phrase filled with the Spirit. Actually, in this biography of Jesus, he uses that phrase 17 times. And then Luke also writes long before Star Wars and long before the 29 movies that that whole thing is, right? Luke has the sequel and the follow-up to his gospel, which is Acts. And in the book of Acts, Luke's used, Luke's uses the phrase filled with the Holy Spirit 56 times. That's a big deal that, that as disciples, we need to know what it is to be filled with the Spirit. And um, good news, it's right here in the passage. The first thing that we see what it is to be filled with the Spirit is a confession of Jesus, that's the very first thing. Do you see what Elizabeth says? Verse 42. And Elizabeth, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Elizabeth is the very first person that we have in the Gospels to ascribe the title of Lord to Jesus. And he's not even out of the womb yet. This is a big deal. Um, the word Lord is specifically what is used in the Psalms and a title that is given to God. So literally, Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit of God. And then the first thing that she does is lift high Jesus and give literally honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And we know that through other scriptures that this is what it is to be a believer. That later on, the Apostle Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That's profound. And, and here's what a lot of us think. A lot of us reverse this. A lot of us think, again, we need to be busy and we need to do things in order to experience the Spirit of God. But actually, it's, um, you know, I'll never forget, we have three kids, um, seven, five, and three, which is a statement and a prayer request all at the same time, right? And, you know, when the birth of your children is a profound experience. And I just remember being there, and, and when Roman was born, he didn't cry immediately. And so I was sort of nervous a little bit, because, you know, that's what's supposed to happen, if you will. And I remember the doc sort of, and I said, you know, he's not crying. And the doc goes, oh, you know, we can fix that. And, and, ha and have you ever seen, like, 
they should like give you a little bit of like a, a speech before they start handling a newborn baby, right? Because they're slinging that thing by the leg. They're holding that thing up. I mean, they're doing whatever, and they're just totally used to that. And you're like, oh, you know? And I remember the doctor turning Roman over and sort of like doing that on his back, and then Roman just sort of started wailing and crying. And then I was like, why is he crying so much, right? Just, I was really stressed out. And, you know, my wife's over there, and she like just totally did everything and I'm worried about myself and just pray for me okay it's just tough right and that's actually what the new birth is like that listen um, you may have been in that church and that preacher may have gave that invitation and they may have played just as I am 47 times until somebody walked the aisle and you came down and and you prayed that prayer with that preacher and praise God for that moment could you go back to that moment right now and know the sweetness of God's grace in that moment? Here's what I'm saying. You were saved in that pew long before you came down and said that prayer. We don't believe in witchcraft and incantations and repeat these magic words after me and then you enter into the kingdom of heaven. For the Spirit of God blows where it wishes. And in that moment, we are born again and the first thing that we do when we are born again is we cry out. And we say that Jesus is Lord. We see a celebrate, or I'm sorry, we see a confession of Jesus. And then the second thing is this, we see a celebration of Jesus, right? We see that it says that she cried out with a loud voice. It literally means that she shouted with a loud volume. And it says that John the Baptist, the baby, leapt in the womb with joy. Joy, exceeding gladness. That's, that's an evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God. And I don't know about you, and, and maybe this isn't your story, right? But sort of, I grew up and I had great parents. I just made really, really bad decisions in my life. Um, but I had great parents. But I remember my dad was an evangelist, and he traveled around and preached at conferences and stuff. And I remember being a little guy sitting up in the front row and hearing these preachers thunder, man, just preaching paint off the wall. And they were so angry. And then they would talk about how God loved me. And I was like, if God loves me, why are you so mad at me right now, right? And then I remember growing up in the church, and I remember having this conflict in my life of these people claim the name of Jesus Christ, and they're the meanest people that I know in my life. I mean, these people walk around like they were baptized in lemon juice, right? Just, right? And we love God here, son, and it's God, and we're serious here, and it's God, right? I remember a guy one time, we stayed, um, it, you know, it was, my dad was an evangelist, so the big thing was host the evangelist at, at the house. And so we had to stay at strangers' houses. Like, I look back, and I'm like, it's so weird, right? But I remember it was like Deacon Bob, like this guy, and he's praying before breakfast, or we're staying in his house. I don't know who he was praying to, Okay. But I don't, he thought he was praying to the Lord, but he was very clearly praying to impress my father, the evangelist at the house. And he prayed so long that my brother fell asleep at the table. His elbow slipped out and he busted his face right on the table, right? Because this guy is, oh God, right? And then I come to meet Jesus and I realize that joy is used all the time in the scriptures. All the time. That, that an evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God is that we have joy in Jesus. Do you ever remember um, your, your parents right before dinner, 
or before any meal saying, hey, hey, um, you know, don't eat that. Don't, you know, we even have to monitor our kids. If they get a soda at dinner, it's like they just breathe that thing in. And then it's, I'm not hungry for dinner or this, that, and the other. Um, don't eat that because why? Because you're going to be too full. You're going to be too full when it comes dinner time. When we see God in the scriptures saying, hey, 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 don't mess with that. Don't mess with that. Because it's a loving father saying, don't hurt yourself. And it's a loving father saying, if you fill yourself with worldly pleasures, here's the question. If we're not filled with joy as being filled with the Spirit of God, then that means that we must be filled with something else. And listen, I've had to self-examine my own life. And I've had to ask myself, man, I, I don't know if I could say in seasons in my life that I am filled with deep joy and gladness. A lot of times, um, I'm filled with anger. I'm filled with sadness. I know you're way more saved than me, and you don't ever deal with any of this stuff, okay? But if, but if I'm not filled with joy, that means that I'm filled with something else. And it means that I'm staying busy, and I'm not beholding God. And I can walk through this passage and go, yep, I'm isolated and I'm not with the people of God. And then I can say that I'm filling myself up with other things rather than filling myself with God's word in order to be filled with the spirit. We can behold by the spirit of God. It is a supernatural thing. Listen, you don't go down to the gas station and fill up with gas and get your Slurpee and get some joy, okay? This is a supernatural thing that God gives to us that we can behold by the Spirit of God. And then the last thing that I see is this. We behold through believing God. Look at the prayer. And, and, and by the way, can we just make a comment here? Look at how much praise Elizabeth. Can, can I just set the scene here? Okay, ladies, can I get your attention for just a few seconds? All right. We have an older woman. Elizabeth, who's well, maybe into her 70s, okay? And then we have Mary, the younger one who hasn't experienced very much life. Elizabeth has been married for a long period of time. Um, she's received one of the greatest Christmas gifts ever. Her husband is silent for nine months. <laughs> right? And so we have Elizabeth, and then we have Mary. Mary's never been married. We have all of this happening. And look at the humility of Elizabeth paying honor and homage to Mary. Do you know what Elizabeth doesn't do? She doesn't compare the blessings. Elizabeth doesn't go, well, the angel came to me a few months ago and said that this would happen, but now apparently you're carrying God. <sighs> right? And the angel said that John the Baptist would be great. And so Elizabeth went around for a couple months, you know, maybe feeling inside like, well, my kid's going to be the greatest born among women, right? So her bumper sticker completely wins all the time, right? And then Mary comes along and is like, I'm pregnant with the second person of the Trinity. <sighs> well, my son's still great, right? Elizabeth doesn't do the thing. Because, lady, can we just be honest in church? You guys are mean sometimes, okay? Can we just be honest with that? just a different kind of meanness, okay? 
Guys can duke it out and fist fight and then hug each other and cry and be best friends, and you guys can hate each other forever, right? <laughs> you see two ladies walk by each other and they do the look down, the up and down, right? Elizabeth doesn't do any of that. Why? Why? Hey, I'm just trying to be funny to get a point across. She's content with the blessings that God has given her. She doesn't compare her life to Mary. Well, Mary hasn't been married as long as I have. And, you know, I'm, you know, I only have one kid and she has two. And then this is, we're in different seasons. My kid's in diapers and your kid's now in school. And so it's, she's content with the blessings that God has given her, not comparing those. And listen, in this social media age and this filtered age, it is very easy to start to compare the blessings rather than being content with what God has given us. And one of the blessings that she gives to Mary is the last verse, verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I mean, Mary gets this praise in Scripture, and rightly so, right? So we said last week, um, you know, just to kind of offend everybody, that Mary is not the object of our faith, but she's an example of faith. And so, you know, if you grew up Baptist or something like that, you're like super scared to even talk about Mary. You're like, oh, right? And so, but actually in all reality, she gets a great praise in Scripture. Why? Because of her obedience. Mary obeys God without knowing the outcome. The faith that she has. The faith. And Elizabeth says, blessed are you. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Because you have believed God. And you have shown that faith. Listen, we say this all the time at Westside. Obedience is the evidence of faith. Faith is not a Facebook status. Faith is is not only believing God whenever it is convenient. Obedience is the evidence of faith. But we have to be careful. Because if I ended my sermon here, what I would do is I would send you out as little Pharisees. And what you would have is a list of obedience and you would start your day and you would check off the boxes and go, read my Bible today, prayed today, did this today, did that today. I am so saved and God loves me more today because I have obeyed, right? And the harshest words that Jesus has for people in the scriptures is people with that type of mindset. Because Jesus tells us something. He says this. The Apostle Paul says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we get this faith through hearing from the word of God. And so Mary got the word of God through the angel and she believes on that. And we learned last week, well, I'll let Warren Wearsby say it this way. The people of God live on promises and not explanations. That's a profound difference. When it comes to obedience, we almost bargain with God. We almost say, sure, I'll um, humble myself in my marriage, or I'll do this, or I'll do that. As long as I know what this sort of explanation, if you could break this down for me, and if I know what's required of me, and then I'll do this. But the way that God works is God gives us promises, not explanations. And then faith is what bridges the gap between the promise and the obedience. But there has to be a motivation for it. 
And Jesus tells us what the motivation is. Jesus says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, some of us rewrite that. We would never say that we do. But we think that Jesus says, if you obey me, then I'll love you. Listen to me. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. And many of you think it is, and, and you've tried every day. And, and, and what that does is that, that either leads you to pride or despair. And if you live by only obedience, you will become a prideful person. And you'll say, why doesn't anybody else do it like I do? And why don't you get your act together? And those are poor decisions. And then you start using terms like those kind of people. And why do those kind of people do that? And well, you know, they live over there. And it's either pride or it's despair. And it's constantly trying and never feeling satisfied and always failing. But Jesus puts love before commandments. And we say this all the time. When did God give the people of Israel the Ten Commandments? After he saved them out of Egypt. After he saved them. God did not come to the Moses, Charlton Heston, remember the whole scene, right? And say, hey, if you guys do the top 10, these are my big top 10 things here. And if you don't drink, cuss, or chew, and go with girls that do, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to save you guys out of Egypt, and then I'll totally love you. But he comes to a people in bondage and in slavery and says, I'm going to save you, and now that you are my people, you will now live this way. And you will live differently. Listen to me. Gospel obedience is this. I am accepted. Therefore, I obey. God loves me. God loves me not because of anything that I've done. Not because you're awesome. Not because you're awesome. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. You're a failure. And you need the grace of God. And the goodness and kindness of God is found in Christ. And it's found in Christ living the life that we could not live and dying the death that we deserve. And so now God's love is not based upon my performance, but it's based upon the performance that Jesus Christ so perfectly fulfilled. And now how do I know that that is true? Because the grave is empty and the throne is occupied and that there is a throne in heaven and Jesus is seated upon it. And every time I fail and every time that sin crouches at my door and desires my life, life, it says that Jesus intercedes upon our behalf and says, nope, that's paid for. That's paid for. And that's not who they are, for they have forgotten who they are in Christ. And he pleads his own blood and the spirit bears witness with our spirit and he intercedes upon our behalf. That is the only way this works. This is the good news of Christmas. This is the good news of what we see. And so when we look at Mary's life and we see this, this level of obedience and this level of sort of glory and honor that's ascribed to her, I think we can learn something from her life. That the blessing didn't come from busy. The blessing came from beholding and the same with Elizabeth. And in closing, um, maybe this will be helpful. So I grew up the youngest of four boys. Um, 
my dad wasn't really into hunting and fishing and those type of things. He was fishing. Um, we, we would go fishing with our granddaddy and do those things. But my oldest brother, John, was, was really into sort of hunting and those type of things. And he took me a few times. But one of the things I learned from my father was, is if you're not good at something, put your kids around people who are good at something, Right? And so our oldest son, Roman's really into hunting and really into fishing. And so I'm not knowledgeable in that type of stuff, you know. Like, I mean, kudos to you guys who are, like, going to go kill an apex predator and do all that. Like, I read books, okay. I just like coffee and stuff like that. So, um, so I want to put my son. And so my brother-in-law is really into that. And this year, um, Roman got to experience deer hunting. Roman got his first deer, Okay. And so if you're offended by this, you can send me an email. I won't read it. That's totally fine. Um, and, and what was really cool was the expectations that he had beforehand. So like the night before, Roman's talking about all of this. And what if this happens? And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to sneak up on that deer. And I'm going to do all this stuff. And, and it was such a high level of what he thought the experience was going to be. And then he experienced it. And so I was actually out of town, and then he called and sort of walked me through what it was all like. And it was so much different than, than what his experience was, what his expectation was, his experience. And as I got off the phone with him, I was in an airport in Dallas, Texas, and when I got off the phone with him, I just, it's just the way the Spirit of God speaks to me. He just said, that's, that's you, Jason. You have all these expectations as to what it is to be a follower of Christ what it is to obey until you actually experience obedience then you really know what I'm like you don't know listen we can't know what God is like in our expectations just like a small child the night before the big hunting trip that's what a lot of us are like maturity is walking through that experience and I love the way that G Campbell Morgan put it he put it I'm sorry Oswald Chambers said this Never try to explain God until you've obeyed Him. The only bit of God we understand is the bit that we have obeyed. That's it. That's what I see with Mary and Elizabeth, is that it wasn't this sort of explaining as it was experiencing. And then through there was the blessing and the beholding. So, so this holiday season, my question to you is this. What area in your life, what area in your life do you need to experience the relationship with Jesus Christ in a whole new way by simply obeying? Not obeying so God will love you. Obeying because he already does in Christ. What does it look like to simply apologize without knowing the outcome? What does it look like of that act of obedience and then walking through it, and listen, I can, I can tell you this, that the blessings of God are God. That the goal of following Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. That that is who we get to experience. So where do you need to obey without knowing the outcome? Westside, would you stand to your feet as we prepare for communion and what we've done this Advent season as we have proclaimed what is known as the mystery of faith that it's so difficult to explain that God becoming man and so very simply we've repeated this 
And so Westside, lift your voices out loud with the bold print. Therefore, let us proclaim the mysteries of the faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We're so busy, but yet your word to us is behold, be still know that I am God. There's a level of our relationship with you, God, that we can only know, not by being busy, but by simply beholding. So God, I pray for those of us in this room today who are in isolation. We're so alone and we need other people to speak into our lives, that the community of faith confirms our faith. God, I pray that those friendships would be renewed. God, I pray for us as a people that we would be filled with your spirit, that we would confess Christ as Lord in our life, that we would experience that joy and celebration. God, I pray not for the size of our faith, but for the object of our faith, that we could believe you, Jesus, for the goodness and kindness that you are. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you're a baptized follower of Jesus Christ, you can come forward and partake in the elements of communion today as you feel led.